Life Radio. Stories at the intersection of music and life. Welcome to Music Life Radio. I am your host, Dan Sauter. Music Life Radio is a free podcast available on iTunes and your interwebs at musicliferadio.com and features interviews and stories about and related to music. Today on the program, we talk to Steve Riccablanca. Steve is best known as the bass player in the legendary San Francisco punk band Victims. Victims were around since the late 70s. Remember the Mabuhay Gardens? They were there, playing with all those great bands. We talked to Steve about his past with the Victims and their current reincarnation. Steve is also in the band Pleasure Parade, which is a project he put together using members of the band Luca Brasi. We also talked to him about his time in between the incarnations of Victims, where he worked as a chef at many fine restaurants. Sit back and relax and enjoy another episode of Music Live Radio. This one, Pleasure Victim, the Steve Riccablanca story. Well, welcome, Steve, to uh, Music Live Radio. I'm glad to have you on the program. Let's get started with your early history. Where were you born? Where did you grow up? And what kind of music were you listening to? Were you influenced um, by? Um, I'm from Brooklyn, New York. And at the time, I had a lot of friends who were, you know, discovering music at the time, you know, 14, 15, around that time. And that's when all of the, the classic rock bands started. So uh, listening to their uh, radio... I listened to all the rock stations in New York, and uh, when I was old enough, about 15, I was able to go to the Fillmore East, and I my first show was Frank Zappa. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I really didn't like him, and I forgot the other <laughs> bands. There were, I guess, the other local bands, but Frank Zappa was the headline. I didn't like him, and I sort of left. What, what did you not like about him? I guess I just couldn't understand him. He wasn't really played on the radio as much. Yeah, yeah. You know, as the Rolling Stones and those guys, you know, he was sort of had a cult following even then. Yeah. But, you know, a, enough of a cult where he was able to play, you know, a bunch of shows. Mm. You saw Grand Funk Railroad? And Grand Funk was my favorite band at the time. Yeah. And I saw them at least five times when they came. Uh, they always played at Madison Square Garden. Yeah. And they were the ultimate power trio. And... uh the bass player Mel Sheckler was uh, really good, and he inspired me, and that's how I started to play bass. Now, but the first instrument you picked up was the trumpet, correct? Yeah, my father bought me a trumpet, and he yeah. paid for my lessons, and I was I was getting good at it. But you know, there was really no band to really play with at the yeah. time for me. I wasn't that interested because I was listening to rock, yeah, yeah. and I was just doing it to keep my father happy. And yeah. but he sort of understood, you know the. I mean, what you start, an instrument that you start with when, when you're a kid and what you end up with can always been, it could, it could always be different. You know, I could have ended up playing the tuba or something in an orchestra, maybe, or who knows. Yeah, I remember when I went uh, in fifth grade, I think I went to the music store to get uh, an instrument to play in band, and it was the only thing they had was a trombone. <laughs> and at the time, I was like four foot you know, tall, so this thing was bigger than me. <laughs> But I yeah. dropped that after a while, but yeah. Well, eventually you you'll take to something if yeah, you yeah. were tenacious. You know, like you know, music isn't for everybody. I mean, a lot of people they they could be music lovers, but not necessarily want to play an instrument because it takes so much discipline. Yeah. You know, to do that kind of stuff. Now you eventually got on the guitar after the trumpet, correct? Yes, and. Uh, the six strings, I just didn't take to the six strings. Yeah. <laughs> they were always out of tune, and the, the guitar wasn't that great. I, didn't, I, I never had an amp yeah. in the very beginning. I just didn't have an amp. And I, and I could have played through my little stereo yeah. if I knew about you know, how to hook it up, but I never did. But later on in life, I said, oh, yeah, you could have. <laughs> 
but yeah. uh but anyway so it just worked out that way that uh i didn't take to the guitar at the time you know 15 you know as other some other people they they did and then uh as i was seeing grand funk i really liked uh the bass player and it was just the big power trio so i had my father you know buy me a a bass you know, a really cheap sears bass yeah and then I finally hooked it up to the stereo, and then I was learned <laughs> off the records. Oh yeah! So that's so I didn't have an amp for a few years. You know, a bass amp, a real bass amp. Did you uh, take lessons, or did you just pick it all? Uh, in the beginning, uh, I, I just taught myself, just played yeah. off records. But uh, when I started playing with the victims, uh, I ended up playing with a. Uh, had a few lessons, I think about six lessons with Paul Jackson of Herbie Hancock. Oh, wow. And that was at the time of Thrust. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love, I still love that album. I have it on my, uh, my iPod. Yeah. So uh, I took some lessons from him. He always showed me some exercises. Uh, and he was a really nice guy. And he also came to the victim's house a couple of times. And he was, you know, he was really nice, you know, and very knowledgeable. So what other bands were you playing in before uh, Victims? Before Victims, uh, I put in just various, you know, nowhere rock bands that were going to go nowhere. But each band that I played with, I just got better because I just played with different people, played sort of different styles, uh, more aggressive, less aggressive. So, uh, yeah, just, you know, the band would last maybe six months and we try to write songs and maybe play a couple house parties and then break up and then for whatever yeah. reason, you know. So, yeah, I was just like bouncing around. I think I played at least, before Victor's, maybe at least maybe 10, 12 bands. Mm-hmm. And then I played uh, with Chipito from Santana. Uh, so I had my little Latin gig at the time. Yeah. And I played with him for about, I don't know, maybe six months also. And then he moved on and I moved on play with other rock bands and it was sort of getting boring so the punk thing really uh it really got me going yeah so mostly it was just rock bands you were playing yeah just you know traditional rock bands stuff you you grew up listening to pretty much yeah you know but uh i never played with a cover band yeah you know just uh didn't have any desire to, to want to play just covers. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe you know, maybe the band will play one cover or yeah, something yeah. just to <laughs> to do it because it's, it was cool to do some sort of cover. You know, but overall, I I never had any interest playing in a cover band, even though they tended to make more money yeah. a little bit more than <laughs> yeah. than playing originals. Because you know, songwriting when you do originals, so it's hard too. And then playing covers to do it justice is hard, also. And I really respect those musicians who play in cover bands like that, playing a cruise ship that plays, you know, like five sets or something. They probably have a hundred song repertoire. Oh yeah, and they know all the classic rock and you know, classic rock uh, hits. So, so I really. I really respect them. So for when that. you were in the bands, those were all in the Bay Area. Yeah. Okay. It was Oakland and you and moved San Francisco from New York to Oakland. To yeah, to Oakland, Oakland first. Yeah, because yeah. my parents uh, they broke up. Yeah. And then I wasn't doing that great in New York. I was hanging out with the wrong crowd. Yeah. yeah. You know, sniffing glue <laughs> and. You know, I mean, even though my parents broke up, they still had respect for each other. They were concerned about me. And my father was, uh, he was in the Navy. It was like around the Vietnam War, towards the end of it. And uh, so I went there just to see uh, how, you know, I would get along there if I would do better, you know, without, Mm. you know, a lot of drugs and, you know, people that were bad influences on me. Yeah. (laughs) So... So now, how did you end up in the victims? Uh, well, uh, at the time, I had this uh, part-time job after school uh, at this clothing store in Berkeley, uh, World of Pants. And I met, uh, I was in the back doing the stock, putting the pants up, un- uh, unpacking the packages. And there was this guy there, his name was Mohammed, who was a Palestinian. And he was pretty cool, you know, and we got along really well, and he became my best friend. Yeah. And... Uh, he used to go to San Francisco. I mean, he lived in San Francisco at the time, but he commuted to Berkeley, uh, right on Telegraph, the main drag. And uh, 
he knew I was playing in a band, and he also was involved somehow with music, which I really didn't know. I guess, you know, he just wanted to get into the scene, you yeah. know, do something else. And then he met these other people, and they were doing the punk stuff, and I was doing the rock stuff. And then I'm saying, he was said, like, they lost their bass player, quit, and they have, like, four shows, and they still want to do them, but they don't want to cancel them. They need a bass player, you yeah. know? I'm saying, I don't want to play that punk shit, you know? <laughs> like, uh, And at the time, you know, I really didn't know anything about it, but... You know, from what I've heard, and I wasn't that good. It was just they didn't know how to play their instruments, and yeah. which is sort of half true. But yeah. it doesn't matter. It's not how good you are. It's what you can do. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So he finally talked me into it, and then I said, "Okay." You know, they would pay me some money. It wasn't wasn't a lot. So I came in. I rehearsed with them, and then within two weeks, I played the first gig. You know, with them and. Uh, I forgot where the first... It was the map. It was the yeah, Mabuhai. And yeah. like at the time, the victims, they just started. They were less than, I don't know, three three months, four months, and then the bass player left. I guess they didn't get along with them. Yeah. So that first gig, it was a little bit scary, but then I learned it, and the music started growing on me. Yeah, yeah. And then, because uh, it was fast, and it was a different audience, and the audience was much larger than I was accustomed to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, they were very uh, spirited, <laughs> you know, going on stage, you know, throwing popcorn at, at the band. So, um, yeah, so after that first gig, uh, when I was really learning the songs, the second, third, and fourth gigs, I really liked it. I mean, I, there would be no reason why I shouldn't join the band. Yeah. Because they liked me, you know, I mean, personally, they liked my playing style. And I was learning the songs, and then they didn't have to look for any other bass player, actually. Yeah. So that's how uh, I ended up in the band. Now, was John in the band at the time? No, he wasn't in the band at the time. And uh, I played with John a lot. Yeah. Uh, a lot of jams, living room jams like mm -hmm. this, backyard jams, uh, party jams. And so we were, uh, the guitar player left. So we had to look for a guitar player. So I think we, uh, at least we auditioned maybe like five. And God, when it's not happening, it's really <laughs> frustrating, yeah. you know, because the most boringest thing is teaching somebody the songs. Yeah. Usually you'd want to give them, here's the tape or CD. Uh -huh. Learn it, please. <laughs> you know, I'll show you, you know, if you have questions, I'll, yeah. you know, I'll show you certain things, but please learn it. <laughs> so these people, they weren't learning them. <laughs> you know, they were just coming and saying, ah, just wing it. And sometimes wing it, it depends. You know, yeah. sometimes you can wing it and do great, and sometimes you fall on your face. <laughs> so by that time, we were still looking. So I, then I thought, oh, yeah, John, you know. Mm -hmm. But John was sort of the same. He was just sort of a rock guy, you know. Yeah. But I said, hey, I, I was the same thing. So I had him come in. He was pretty diligent. I think he was pretty prepared, you know. I mean, you know, there were some flubs, but I mean, he was more prepared than the rest of them. And uh, he's been our guitar ever since, uh, our guitar player. And he's very reliable, which is good. And on time, yeah, yeah. you know. Because some people have, you know, lateness and tardiness in their DNA, mm -hmm. you know. So Yeah, definitely. What, were, what are some of your favorite uh, victims' moments during your first run? Um, I think uh, seeing our audience grow yeah. from playing, you know, Sunday nights for six people in, at the Mab, because at the Mab, the band started, it was seven nights a week, 10 to 2. So yeah. 10 o'clock is really sort of late, yeah, yeah. you know? So just think of it Sunday on Broadway, raining, cold. Everything's really going out. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so st seeing six people, and then we play again at the Mab, 12 people. Yeah. And then, so every time we played at the Mab, there was more people. And just seeing that was really a, a great thing to see, you know, where we can almost fill, fill the club after, you know, after a year, you know. Yeah. So that was really good. Some bands, they play for nobody, and it stays that way, <laughs> you know, and that's when they break up. You know? Yeah. So uh, that, and then uh, when you play with the Ramones, it was really good. Um, they were just, you know, uh, we never really talked to them a lot, but, you know, it was good 
show to be on and then you know somehow getting on these big shows which would be impossible now because uh at the time uh bill graham you always wanted to have a local band yeah open whatever show let them play 20 minutes only yeah, yeah. you know give them 50 bucks just for gas and expenses and just to have a local band because that's how he you know, got discovered all these other bands. Yeah, yeah. If you don't put them out there, no one's going to know about them. Uh -huh. Like, as opposed to nowadays, like uh, Golden Voice, those promoters and uh, all those other promoters, they don't care anymore about local. And then they wonder, how come there's no scene here? There's, they don't have the courage to put, let's put a local band that's that's up and coming, that's hot, to open the show so people get to see them. Say, they're from Oakland or they're from... Yeah you know san rafael or wherever so uh stuff like that is impossible now that's why the scene isn't that great in the bay area and overall the music is is really bad the music business is really bad so and as far as local stuff you know there's no there's really no one because no none of these uh none of these big uh, outfits or have the courage to put a local band uh, in the first, you know, to open their rock shows. Yeah. yeah. Even though there's a lot of local bands. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of local bands and there's yeah. some good ones. There's a lot of shitty ones, but yeah. there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of good ones. And I think uh, that's one of the reasons why there hasn't been anybody coming out of the Bay Area recently Yeah, because they haven't, nobody knows, they haven't been discovered. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that's how bands get discovered. They've somehow played the show, you know, and people like them. And they'll go and see them again, you know. Now, you guys were really tight. Uh, you guys all lived in the same house, too, didn't you? Yeah, we lived in the same house uh, for about like two, a good two-year run. The whole band, except for John, because John already was married and he yeah. lived in Richmond. But everyone else, even the manager, Mohammed, Dinah, yeah. me, and Lou, and uh, our rehearsal space was downstairs, the dungeon. Yeah, yeah. So it was convenient, and there was never any excuse to be late yeah. or not show up or be <laughs> sick. So uh -huh. nine times out of ten, when we had rehearsal, we had rehearsal, you yeah. know. And, uh, and then we can, uh, you know, write songs when we weren't rehearsing, you know. Yeah. And then we can have our parties after our shows or dinner parties yeah. when we were off. So, yeah, so it was a multi-purpose house. We did a lot of posters, designs, designed posters there, wrote all the songs, lived there. So, Let's take a listen to A Woman Scorned by Victims, featuring their original vocalist, Nina Crawford. So you think I'm a chump? Oh, well, you better think twice. Don't treat me nice You can't have me And those other girls too I ain't no monkey And you're a little zoo What happened to the victims? How did you guys end it back in the day? We were playing a lot of shows, and a lot of people said, Wow, you guys must be doing great. You guys, you know, play with this band. You guys play yeah. with that band, you know. And, yeah, we were playing, but we needed to 
get over that hump because we started to plateau and say, yeah, we, you know, okay, you know, we got to play with the Ramones or the Psychedelic Furs or yeah. Black Flag or any of the, most of the punk bands of the day, but, you know, make it, you know, we weren't making that much money and we needed help, yeah. you know, and we sort of almost had it, but we, it, the opportunity came and it was very fleeting. It was a, uh, Sandy Perlman at the time, and he was, uh, he produced The Clash, uh, London Calling, and then he produced Blue Oyster Cult. I forgot which album it was. Huh. So he was the hot producer of, uh, of the year at the time. And he came to, uh, a couple of our gigs, and Nina was, she was doing, you know, doing some drugs at yeah. the time, and her boyfriend was more important. <laughs> and then she was saying, well, you know, he just wants this real massage, and, you know, I said, God, wouldn't you like to have Sandy Perlman <laughs> rip you off and put you on these really big shows, yeah, you know? Yeah. Have you open and work you to death? But, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. if you impress people, it's going to be worth every tear and whatever frustration that you would have. Yeah. But it never came to be. And then, so after he didn't come to the show anymore, yeah. he thought, ah, they don't need me, you know? And then we were just playing these shows, and then eventually we were just spitting our wheels, and then, you know, all of a sudden I lost interest. Yeah. You know? No, even though we did so well, considering we didn't have any real support except for ourselves, you know, some bands, they had, you know, some outside entity coming in who knew somebody, you know, that oh, yeah. could help the band. We never really had any, you know, real you know, help. So we ended up breaking up, and then that was that. And know. what year was that about? Oh, it was 82, okay. I think. Yeah, yep. from 79 to 82. Mm-hmm. Now, were you burned out on music at that point? Not really burned out. I was just sort of disappointed yeah. because, uh, you know, we had so much fun together, and it seemed like we had promise, but nobody, nobody was biting yeah. You know, like going, we were fishing every gig, we were hoping that somebody would see us that would like us. And so many people, you know, really liked us and everything, but they didn't have all those connections, you know, that could, uh, that could help us. And so, yes, I was more disappointed because, you know, we had a lot of, we did a lot of work and, you know, we thought it would be a payoff. But, you know, at the same time, you know, bands, they come and go, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I mean, so many bands, you know, the Avengers, they didn't last that long. Yeah. yeah. You know, a year or so, you know, that negative trend, Flipper didn't last. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they, then they had this gigantic hiatus, 20-year hiatus or something, just like the victims, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so all of the bands of the day that we were playing, they were all breaking up, you know. It was just, uh, it was just that time, the scene, which was a real scene, which there's no scene anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad I was in that scene because all the bands used to support each other. Yeah. Now, every band is on their own. <laughs> you know, there's no really other band members. They come to watch other bands, yeah, local bands. That's pretty much what it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and it's, it's sad because uh, it was a real, you know, a tight-knit community. It wasn't like competing. It was, you know, a little competition, but... Yeah. You know, they'll still come to your show, yeah. party with you, yeah. buy you a drink. Yeah. You know, so we should play together, you know, some yeah. show, you know. Now, a lot of the bands, they play and then they leave. <laughs> I know, it's so sad. You know, <laughs> they, they don't even stick to see, you know, or, or they come at the last minute. So they don't get to see any other bands. I mean, yeah. I like to come and see, you know, band to see who, you know, who's out there. I want to be impressed, you know. Very rarely am I impressed nowadays, but sometimes you do (laughs) and say, wow, those guys are good. You know, and the sudden being stuck up, oh, I got to be there five minutes before we play. You don't see anything, you know. Now, you and John, the guitar player, went on into another band after Beckham's, right? Yeah, it was Vauxhall, so I got him in that one. Yeah, so I played uh, in this band, uh, Vauxhall, and this was like towards the end of the Victims. I was playing in two bands, okay. and uh, it was a little more. It was uh, it wasn't as heavy as the Victims, but it was something that I liked, you know. Yeah. And so we played, and then the guitar player eventually left. So the first person I thought of was John because yeah. he was so reliable. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, when you have somebody that's really reliable. He's on time, like 98% of the time, (laughs) 
you know, cooperative, you know, has his chops. Yeah. Uh, so I thought of him, and then so we auditioned him, and yep, you know, he ended up being in the band also. Yeah, yeah. So we played like another another year and a half together. And then you, after that happened, you got the calling to attend a culinary school. Yeah, because, you know, I said, God, I have to find some sort of real work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, this music stuff is just, you know, I'm barely holding on. Yeah. And I always liked to cook anyway. Yeah. And we used to have a lot of dinner parties at the victim's house. Okay. You know, tons of stuff. We used to make veal stock, huh. where you get, you know, it's an all-day thing. You have to roast the bones. Yeah. It's sort of messy, too. You know, roast the bones, stink up the whole house. <laughs> you know, put the bones in the stock, uh, cook it slowly for uh, all day. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and just so we can have our nice sauce. Yeah. So, uh since I really loved cooking, and, and then people always used to say, oh, yeah, you should open up a restaurant, be a chef and everything. And then, uh, you know, and then I used to look at those, like, gourmet magazines, and I always used to see, you know, the food there looked really nice, and the chef was always there with his white uh, chef jacket, always holding up a glass of wine. I said, yeah, that's <laughs> good, yeah. Holding glasses is the only job that you can maybe, you can drink a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, um so then I went to a like, California Culinary Academy, and I almost got kicked out because uh, they started to be uh, in pastry. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the last thing I needed because, you know, in pastry, you have to have discipline. Yeah. You got to weigh things, not just eyeball it. And, yeah. you know, there's certain techniques to do, like bread making or mm-hmm. puff pastry. You got to put the butter in between the the dough and roll it out and here i was man all the butter was coming out and you know, it was just a big mess yeah. and then you know that they took me up to the office and said you really want to you know do this yeah. you know i mean it doesn't seem like you're you know you're getting it and and they were right and i said well because i always like to cook the hot food i never even th- yeah. thought about pastry you know <laughs> That kind of stuff. So then once I finally uh, changed over to the hot side, baking, you know, hot food, I did 10 times better. And then yeah. when I graduated, I had one of the best jobs out of there. I, I started out at Masa's, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and where is Masa's? Well, that, it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. But it was on Bush and Powell. Okay. And it was always like the top three is always Chez Panisse, Masa's, and maybe Square One. Yeah. Uh, always like those top three, you know, right be for how it, now it's the foodie thing is like really out of hand. <laughs> yeah. But before, I think it really meant something and there was, uh-huh. you know, a lot of competition. So, Masa's, and then where did you go? Uh, I went to a few hotels, uh, the Nico Hotel when they opened up. Uh, I worked at the Fairmont Hotel uh, and the Huntington Hotel. So I was a hotel guy, and hotels, the, the, the good thing about them is uh, uh, you have more, a little bit more time off than a, on a restaurant, because yeah. uh, usually the smaller restaurants, uh, it, there was like 22 people in the kitchen at uh-huh. Masa's to feed 100 people. Yeah. <laughs> so it was that kind of thing. It was really intense, and then yeah. a lot of hours, too. Yeah. You know? And then the hotels, of course, they paid better. Yeah, you know okay. the restaurants. They they didn't pay that well, mm. you know, because at the time I was coming in at ten and leaving at eleven at night, and I was only making seventy five dollars a day. Oh. <laughs> wow, <laughs> brutal, brutal hours and low pay. And then you're yeah. on your feet all day. Yeah. Did you, you know? enjoy that the cooking part of it? Yes, I did. I was younger then, so you yeah. had more energy. You know, like cooking is like being an athlete. Yeah. Because, like, you know, it's really high pressure. Yeah. You know, it's hot, it's dangerous, and you just have to, you know, do whatever you need to do to get the food out, in, you know, with the consistency of, you know, that venue, restaurant, you know, because you don't want to be the one who messes up and there's the reviewer there yeah now how did you end up moving to new york well uh, my mother was still alive at the time so it was easy to move back yeah just go to mom's house my old room you know so a few times i did that and um so um i got a job there i said well i need to make more money i because i worked at masses at three different times Mm -hmm. three different uh 
times in within 10 years okay. you know so i always went back to new york and i said well i know i can find something and i always did find something and then as uh, time went on i got better uh, my positions were a little bit better whereas you know executive sous chef at the sofitel in manhattan mm -hmm. and you know so i was the second banana <laughs> in yeah. this big you know hotel in manhattan so and that was good but it's always hard work you know the mm -hmm. cooking thing was really you know hard but it's creative too yeah you know i mean you know you have to put colors together flavors together what's in season what's not how much is it gonna cost yeah you can only use so many truffles and foie gras <laughs> or or you know whatever what are some of your most memorable moments working at the restaurant at the plaza uh, I worked at the Oyster Bar. I was this, uh, the chef at the Oyster Bar. And uh, it used to be like six blocks from Broadway. So a lot of uh, actors and actresses, you know, uh, would come there after the show or before the show, people would come in for dinner or celebrities, you know, they're passing through, they're staying at the hotel, they would want to have, you know, a seafood dinner. Yeah. Uh, let me see, some of the people, uh, Julio Iglesias, yeah. uh, we fed, uh, okay, Donald Trump, I used to give him uh, Clams Casino all the time. Yeah. This is when he was more sane. He was actually <laughs> more sane yeah, yeah. when he was when he owned the plaza than uh -huh. he was. He was more of just a businessman. He wasn't always looking for publicity or anything. Yeah. So he was he was pretty good. A lot of journalists. Um, what's his name? Uh, who was the anchor for NBC a while back? Not not Brian Williams, the other guy, uh, but the Tom guy Brokaw. before Brian Williams. Oh, Tom Brokaw. Yeah, Tom Brokaw yeah. used to go there a lot. Okay, so. Uh, you started getting back into music, and you described it. Uh, you were getting into Detroit techno. What is yeah, that? Yeah, Detroit about? techno. Well, it's basically all these uh, disco guys that became. Uh, well, disco was it was yeah. you know it was a fad, and it would, uh, so they got into more heavier instrumental type yeah. music, and it originated in Detroit too. Yeah. So they had their own scene that was that was really. Uh, original dark mm -hmm. not commercial and uh they took their time with their arrangements like you know the songs were you know six minutes eight yeah. minutes uh no singing and they used all electronic stuff you know yeah. uh drum machines uh synthesizers sequencers and uh, they had all this dark uh type music and I really like that. And that uh, for about five years, I didn't play at all. You know, mm -hmm. I was just sort of concentrating on uh, the cooking because that was my new life. You know, man, you didn't really have a lot of time, probably. <laughs> and I didn't have a lot of time, exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I had my bass under my bed. I didn't have an amp. Mm -hmm. You know, and then I got into the computer music. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, all the you know music software started coming out. You know, the early stuff, and then I slowly but surely started and then i started incorporating my bass uh in in there so uh that's how i got back just so, ever so slowly you mm -hmm. know and then uh learning that style the detroit listening to a lot of uh, music going to shows yeah i'm walking down third avenue on a hardcore night. it's only five and it's pitch black outside you getting hungry and what do i find i find this greek diner calling me real real bad i go inside i see this comfy cozy place so i go in well i'll try it out i get a menu and what do i want i don't know maybe i'll just get a soup i get the soup and what do you know i found a mermaid in my soup i found a mermaid in my soup But I'm in New York City and what do I find? A mermaid in my suit. I look at her and yeah, she looks just like they say she does. Fins, long hair and a vivacious smile. What does this mean? What does this mean? I don't know, but I found a mermaid in my suit. I don't know what I should do. I found a mermaid in my suit. I don't know what I should do. Should I give it back to the waiter? Looking around, oh man. Well, we'll see. 
decided to confront her. What are you doing in my soup? Am I imagining you? Tell me. Tell me. What are you doing in my soup? Am I imagining you? Here's a question we like to ask everybody. What does music mean to you? What does music mean to me? Uh, it keeps me from being bored. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it keeps me from doing something stupid. <laughs> it keeps me from becoming a drug addict. <laughs> so, yeah, so basically music saved my life, you know, in more ways than one, you know. Uh, when I was younger... You know, I was busy practicing instead of busy getting high. Yeah. You know, so, you know, playing with bands. Of course, you know, like, you know, some people in, when you're in high school bands, they think like, like getting fucked up and, and playing is, is the cool thing, but you don't really play that well when you're no. fucked up. <laughs> so, and then, you know, some people think they're really cool and then they're lousy players. Yeah. So I always try to keep uh, even keel. So from New York, you ended up moving to Hawaii. Well, uh, well, from back? New York, uh, from New York, I moved to San Francisco. It was uh, three different times. Yeah, you know, within the, the twenty years that the victims weren't yeah. playing together, because my mom was there, so yeah, it was yeah. easy to to always move back. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I came back to San Francisco. I worked at a few other places, you know, and then. Uh, when I just sort of got bored with working here, I went back to New York and then worked there. So it was sort of bi-coastal, you know, stay one or two years yeah. in New York and then come back San Francisco, work a couple of years and then go back. But then the last time uh, when I was in New York, I was working at this really exclusive, exclusive private club for the one percenters. And uh, I stayed there for five years. And it was unbelievable how these people live and, you know, who these people are and yeah. how much they pay for membership. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, there was this Iranian wedding one time. Yeah. They paid close to, like, almost a million dollars. They had to have the prime rib that they mm -hmm. had. They had, like, seven stations mm. of in the back yeah, of yeah. people with slicers because they said they wanted to have all the food there at all the tables within five minutes <laughs> and they asked him could you do that yeah you know like it's so <laughs> hard but i mean they paid extra people yeah, rented yeah. meat slicers yeah. extra people extra waiters to get it done and they got it done and then had the caviar big tins of caviar champagne you know the good stuff it was it was a really expensive wedding so and uh yeah, so uh, that was uh, the last cooking gig in New York that I had was a university club. And then how did you end up moving to Hawaii? 
Well, uh, the guy I used to work with at the Nika Hotel, he was Japanese, but he, he was from Hawaii. Uh, he went back to Hawaii, and he became executive chef at uh, the Manalani. And every time somebody would leave, he always used to call me and ask me if I'd want to come and work there. And I always refused. I said, I like staying in New York, you know. <laughs> it's nice in New York. There's yeah. a lot of stuff going on. Mm -hmm. And he just called me at the right time after five years of working at uh, the university club. And I just said, yes. Yeah. So, the, you know, uh, we arranged it. They flew me there for the weekend. I had to cook something for 10 people. It was a committee. And I did well because when I got back to New York, I had uh, the FedEx envelope that says, if you want the job, it's yours. Yeah. So that, and I took it. <laughs> <laughs> so within a, within a month, I moved all my stuff. It was a con in a container, in a car, and it was all in Hawaii uh, like two months later. What uh, memorable times did you have while you're in Hawaii? The first few months. I was living for one month. At the hotel, which was a, became a drag. I mean, it was convenient, but you know, I was I was always on the property, you yeah. know, and uh, so I had to rent a car, and then I had to go and look around for places to live because, like, my wife at the time was still in New York packing uh, the rest of our stuff. Yeah. So when, when I got to Hawaii, we didn't have any stuff, just what was in my suitcase. Yeah. <laughs> so we brought, and then we mailed a couple packages that, you know, that just essentials. Yeah. And we didn't know where we were going to live. And at the time, my wife was pregnant. So like, uh, we, I found this place in Kona. I said, I didn't want to pick out the place because the woman is, she's going to make her nest. Yeah. So I said, I'll let her do it because if I try to rent something she might totally hate it yeah, yeah so uh so i got this little studio at the time that we rented and it was really funny it was the bedroom was inside but the kitchen and the bathroom were outside underneath an avocado tree <laughs> <laughs> wow. so it was pretty it was pretty trivial but it was warm enough that it was okay you know i mean uh it was a very unique situation where the kitchen and the bathroom are outside under an avocado tree. You can always get the broomstick and knock one down and yeah. then get it and then <laughs> you have avocados. Yeah, you know? nice. So uh, then uh, when my wife came, she, you know, she looked for a place and then we finally found one in the northern part of the island, Javi, which is very beautiful. And we lived at the 8,000 foot level we had to go up mm. this mountain and from the, the back window we could see Maui and the channel between the uh, big island and Maui so that was really you know that was really good and it was really uh, unusual because from New York City you're used to the garbage being taken out you're used to just turning on the stove when you want here and then the mail you go downstairs and you go in your mailbox and get the mail but here since we lived in a really rural area you have to go to the post office and get your mail yeah you have to bring your garbage to the dump nobody <laughs> picks up your garbage so you got to do that and the gas you got to buy a propane tank and put it underneath the house and you always got to remember that you have always a spare you know propane yeah. So, so those were like unusual things that we weren't used to, you know, at the, at the time. But it was a pleasant thing because even going to the dump, it was a beautiful dump. <laughs> I mean, you could see the ocean and the palm trees, and there was hardly any smell, and everything was clean. Yeah. yeah. Did you do any music while you were out there? Uh, I never got to play with anybody. There were some punk bands but they were like kids yeah, yeah and you know i just couldn't i couldn't play with kids, well you know 14 yeah. 15 year olds you know i just couldn't <laughs> do it so I, you know i was playing my electronic stuff yeah. uh there you know and i was getting uh you know pretty good at it when i had the time because like yeah. when i did have uh my days off but i had to recuperate mm -hmm. you know if you're working like 10 days straight you know 12 13 hours a day you know, there's one, and then they would give you extra days. You know, sometimes they give me four days off, which, you know, would be really great. Yeah. You know, because it would be slow after really busy, intense, like a sales force, you know, the whole, they would just take over the whole hotel, you know, right. five, you know, six days. And, 
and then finally I'd have some days off, so it would be really good. And then I would play, you know, and then do my fatherly duties, and you know, yeah. So now, when did you guys uh, reform the victims? That was in the mid to late nineties, I think. Yeah. Well, uh, from what I remember, my memory is not that great. <laughs> but you know, uh, two times we reformed. One with Nina when she was sick. Yeah. Uh, and then. Uh, with uh, our current configuration, uh, which was Terry uh, Morris and uh, Sophie Vogel. And how we got together again was uh, Terry, there was a benefit. Yeah. And they asked if uh, it was uh, some uh, teenage homeless uh, yeah. thing. And they asked if he would play a benefit at, uh, or was it? I think it was Bender's. Huh. And. Uh, you know, I guess it was the right time. The timing, everybody said yes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> All it takes is one verse to say, I don't want to do it. Yeah, yeah. You know, but everybody said yes. And uh, that's how we started. You know, we weren't thinking about other gigs. We just think of that one gig. It would be fun to do. Let's see what happens. Yeah. So we did, and it was really good. And then, you know, we were asked again uh, from some other people. And that's how we started. And, you know, we've been doing it for the last, I don't know, three years almost. Yeah. The second, you know? the, yeah, third time around, I guess. Yeah. And just it, uh, like this last few months, first we didn't have any gigs. And so we have one, like one or two, and then, you know, we'll, we'll take some time off. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we had like four more that came of just popped up, yeah. you know. What positive influence did Nina have on your life? Uh, I think she was... Uh, a good lyricist. She had a presence, authentic presence, than uh, some women who were just posers. Yeah. Because uh, I can see that with some of the women singers that I've seen in the, with a few other bands lately. You know, they go through all the motions, but they mm. just don't really have it in their heart. Yeah. You know? uh, she was really funny. You know, so... Uh, and she was a good person overall. I mean, yeah. you know, she had her times where she was an asshole, but then who doesn't, you know? <laughs> yeah, who doesn't, exactly. And, you know, uh, she was the focal point of the band. Mm -hmm. You know, people, you know, saw her, you know, she had some moves, and she was very good at uh, talking with the audience. So, like, those things uh, are, are the things I remember most, you know. But I really good lyricist. If you yeah. uh, analyze her lyrics, she really had good lyrics. Yeah, definitely. I lots of and there's a lot of uh, great songs uh, on that album that finally did get released. I remember seeing you guys. God, it must have. It was at the Boomerang, I believe, mm -hmm. for wow. one of those shows with Nina. That was, uh, and I just remember I was just. It was awesome. <laughs> I mm. was like, where, where, where did this band come from? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I was really impressed with your bass playing and mm. uh, her vocals. I thought it was great. You're also in a band called Pleasure Prey. Talk about that. Well, it's a, it's, I guess it's like my alter ego. Uh, I, I guess I started writing the songs after I got back from Hawaii. I didn't really play guitar, you know, so it's a new thing for me. Play, maybe played the last four years. Yeah. I mean, seriously play it. And now I write all my songs on the guitar. I just wanted to do something different than, than the bass. Yeah. Because I said I could. I could buy a guitar. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I should know how to play guitar. At the time, not, I didn't really have any desire, but I just this thing came came over me, and I needed to play and write different songs other than victim stuff. Yeah, you know, because I didn't know what how long the victims were gonna last or whatever, you know. And I wanted to still play, so uh, I just started writing songs, you know, through my pain. Yeah. <laughs> it kept me out of trouble. It didn't. I didn't drink as much because I played or yeah. do as much drugs because I was writing songs, you know. Yeah. I was really concentrating on writing songs and getting better on guitar. So uh, as far as the band, I mean, I wanted to have a band. And I was writing songs. I have like over 30 songs that I wrote, in, you know, in the last three years, you yeah. know. So, uh, and just lately, the last six months, I finally... Got a band together, and you know, we had to replace the bass players, which is really hard. <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh, God, sometimes, uh, you know, 
I'm very particular about the bass, but I want to, you know, I know I have to give them the freedom yeah, you know, yeah. to be themselves too, yeah. you know, and uh, a few of the bass players, you know, their their time wasn't that great yeah. or, you know, you want them to learn the songs because, you know, if you're going to join a band, you want the band to have a reason to want you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, and for them to want you, you have to impress them to sure. a certain extent, yeah. you know, whether you come in, you're prepared, and you like know all the songs already. Yeah. Then they want you for sure. Uh -huh. But if the, you know, some players are, oh yeah, don't worry, uh, the songs are, the, you know, they're pretty easy. I'll have them down. Mm -hmm. They come in. You have to show them everything. Yeah, and then already I get a bad impression of them. I said, I don't want this guy to be in my band. Yeah, yeah, you know. And uh, there was a few of those kinds. It's yeah. very frustrating because that's the boringest thing is showing people songs, mm. and it's boring for the rest of the band because they got to wait around. Yeah, you know, they just and, want to play. They don't. Want yeah, to yeah, you know. So, but. Uh, Finally, I ended up with uh, Luca Brazzi, this band uh, with um, Roxy Roller. He's uh, also a DJ. He, he has a radio show also, uh, FCC Free Radio. And uh, the drummer and the guitar player. So basically, my band is Luca Brazzi, and I'm the plus one. Yeah. So, But the band's town sound totally 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 different yeah you would never know but the same people so the guitar player switches to bass roxy it just sings and then i play guitar and then the drummer plays the drums and uh and uh, we've been doing it for the last seven seven months So the uh, when I went to the website, it's, it sounded like you had a bunch of different vocalists. Was were those earlier? Oh vocalists? yeah, uh, that was uh, that's what the victims were in there. I got Lou to sing, okay. Sophie, yeah. John. Uh, that's before I had the band. Okay, but I needed singers for the yeah. songs, you know. So yeah. I can't sing at yeah. all. I mean, <laughs> I just have this phobia. I don't care to sing. So anytime I try to do it, it would just sort of ruin the whole thing. <laughs> so that's why I, I try to invite anybody or anybody who's yeah. willing to come in and and uh, and sing, and they can do whatever they want. You know, I wasn't getting lousy people, but even Lou, he wasn't really a singer, but he did really well. Yeah. You know, so anyway, those first songs. Uh, of the pleasure prayer, the earlier songs have been done by pretty much the victims. <laughs> <laughs> Testing them out. Yeah. So then, now also, the victims, again, have, re have basically reformed for a third round, I guess. Yes. And you've got uh -huh. two, two vocalists. 
You yeah, mentioned Terry vocals. and so- Sophie. Yeah. And you guys are playing all over the place. Yeah, we're, we're playing like... Uh, we played uh, Let's Just Party on Saturday. And, you know, the funny thing is, like, we didn't rehearse for yeah. two weeks. But we played, and we played, you know, pretty well. That was the very first time we didn't play at least once, practice at least once before yeah. a show. The very first time ever. <laughs> and there was playing acoustic set, too, not yeah. long ago, uh, about two months ago. Punk rock campfire thing or whatever. Yeah, and uh, somebody asked if he would want to do an acoustic thing. And we think, acoustic? And then... We've never done it, and, and then we said, why not? Yeah. I mean, there's no reason why we couldn't. You know, we just have to maybe uh, change the arrangements a little bit, yeah. a little bit slower. Yeah, yeah. You know, just the whole getting of the whole mode of acoustic. You yeah. know? <laughs> and we did really well with it. You know, we really surprised ourselves on as far as the acoustic, acoustic uh, set, which we've never done. And I'm sure we'll do it again at some point in time. There's a good reason to do it, mm-hmm. not just for the hell of it. You know? Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. You know, maybe if we get invited to do another acoustic with other bands doing the acoustic thing, we might do it. You know. Yeah. So what else? What else is going on for you? What does the future hold for Steve? God, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I want to try to get uh pleasure parade off the ground i mean we've only played uh three times so far and you know it's getting better uh it takes time and uh right now is a good time uh because it's okay if we play for nobody yeah (laughs) you know hopefully it'll repeat again like you know the next time we'll play there's a little bit more and the birthday party there's a little bit more people yeah uh we played for so uh hopefully uh we get some uh, some good gigs that uh, you know we open for for somebody, but you know we can never hope to open for any you know big band because they they, they don't do that anymore, unfortunately. So it makes it you know that much harder. But uh, I'm I think I'm pretty confident uh, in our songs. I think once we you know we haven't gelled exactly yet, we haven't, and we need probably a little more confidence. But then that's just more gigs for us to play. Yeah. You know, so, but uh, but I think uh, you know we have some good songs. I believe he has some good songs, and Roxy's really good rock singer and good drummer, and uh, Chris, pretty good bass player. You know, uh, he has some really good licks. So, and I'm just chugging away. You know, like some people said, uh, Steve, you play the guitar like you play the bass. So I'm wondering, <laughs> is that good or bad? <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> you know, because I like to, those, you know, the nice chugs, yeah, the yeah. like bass line, and I like the heavy chug. And the thing about playing the bass and the guitar, I'm real steady. Yeah. yeah. You know, like uh, leads, you know, I don't even, I do a couple of leads, like these lame leads, <laughs> but I try to pick good notes. Yeah. I'm not blazing fast, yeah. you know, but I think my choice of notes is, is decent. But I think my thing is the rhythm. You know, getting really good uh, rhythms that are, you know, solid. So, yeah. Where can people go to find out more about uh, Pleasure Parade and Victims? And- uh, they can go to, uh, uh, as far as Pleasure Parade, uh, right now it's the older songs, but I think they'll like them anyway. It's uh, punkrockers.com slash Pleasure Parade SF. Okay. And then uh, with the victims, uh, you can do, you can just uh, type in Facebook uh, victims, and you'll uh, you'll it'll get something. Up. Yeah, it'll pop up. Cool. Uh, anything else? Did we cover everything? I think we covered just about everything. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks uh, again, Steve. Well, thank you for having more. me. All right. Awesome interview with Steve. And now we're going to leave you with a new victim song featuring Terry Morris on vocals. Outside Economy. Yeah!
Thanks again for Steve Riccablanca stopping by for that great interview. I am your host, Dan Sauter, for Music Life Radio, and we'll catch you next time.